it's nice to have like an hour to sit and and have a glass of wine and, and talk about music and just chill and and yeah, <laughs> this is lovely. So good. I How need to get more well? I'm fine. <laughs> you look so like nobody's ever asked you that. Like nobody ever inquires how the hosts are doing. Yeah, it's, it's, they don't. You guys, you guys work so hard at this, and and it's like, are you like you? You're in a dark room. You, you just look so like no. No one, no one cares about us. <laughs> I want you both to know that I care. All right, that's why I'm here is to show you that you are loved, that you're not alone. Okay, this All is right. going to be a wonderful introduction. I'm just going to clip this bit and put it at the beginning. Then the jingle can come in now. Yeah, instead. So sorry, this has been off off air. A bizarre conversation. So, uh, welcome to this week's edition of BPM Pod. And part of the reason the magic this week is so magical is because not only is Chris here. Chris, how Hi. are you doing? Are you good? I'm, I'm fine. I'm, I'm hello. Hello. <laughs> as, as we discussed previously, no one asks how we are. So it always treats <laughs> us up a little bit. Um, I, and, I but, but someone else who is here, who is providing a lot of magic this week in our sort of annual catch-up, is the wonderful Moves Johnson. Moves, how are you doing? Hello, guys. I am doing great. And I just want to go back and say I do care. Like, I, that was the first thing I asked when, when I logged on just now. Nobody ever asks about the hosts. Uh, soon <laughs> we're going to talk about stuff we've been listening to. And then we're going to, of course, talk to Moves. We're going to talk to you a little bit because uh, you're our additional host this week. We're going to catch up with you about what you've been up to because you've got a bunch of stuff to talk about. And then we're going to talk a little bit about guitar sounds and tone and how you might be able to achieve them. So we've all picked some guitarists or guitar sounds that we like, and we're going to look into how they actually did that. But before we properly get going, I just want to read out some correspondence from last week. Chris, you may remember, we reviewed the uh, Under the Influence tribute of 40 Years of Depeche Mode from right. Tara C. Taylor. right? And we recall we quite liked it, but somehow I... And my Chris didn't say this, it was me, found the mix a little muddy. I don't know why, but certain elements I just didn't think were drawn out enough or whatever. Anyway, well, Tara has been in touch to, uh, to write and say, thank you very much for reviewing uh, the podcast or whatever. And she answered a question that we had, which is, actually, Ian, maybe you know this as well, an EP. How many songs is on an EP? I believe it is up to five songs. Um, I don't know if it's like up to five and then six makes it an album or if it's uh, if it's six songs and then seven makes it an album. But I think six is in there somewhere um, or there's a time limit on it. Like uh, anything past like 40 minutes or something like that. Is, uh, wow. You're, like, you're pretty close. Pretty close. We were pretty yeah, accurate. I, so yeah. she cleared it up. An EP is five or six songs or 30 minutes, whichever is first. So. That's that. So that cleared it up. Anyway, in regards to her release, because I said it was a little bit muddy, she just clarified that it was listened to the Mix and Masters before the release, and they did listen to them on other things, and they haven't taken into account some computer speakers or Bluetooth headphones, uh, so on and so forth. So um, she wonders if the muddiness was actually just me, and considering this week I pulled the largest amount of earwax ever out of my ear, it probably (laughs) was. So um, I'm not sure you wanted to know that. However, uh, yes, so it was mixed and mastered and other people didn't find the same problems. 
it might just be me. However, she did say overall, very, very thank you very much for the review and for lending her our ears. So there we go. Tamara, thank you. I, I, I'm not the, the hugest fan of Depeche Mode. And even that got me like what she released. I was like, no, this is it's, it's bringing me in. Like it's giving me an appreciation for something that I think otherwise I, I didn't find as accessible. For, me. Mm, so, mm. Yeah, for cool. sure. Speaking of things we've been listening to, what have you been listening to this week? Uh, let's start with Chris. I have been listening to Lane 8 and his new album, Reviver. Now, I don't know nothing about them electronic musicians, but <laughs> a friend of mine uh, recommended this one to me. The genre is apparently called Deep House, uh, which is kind of melodic and trancey but not in a throw your hands up in the air trance but more relaxed stuff and i researched the guy a bit i think he's i think he's american and he has a cool workflow like he doesn't overthink stuff um he, there's a video out there where he shows off his Ableton file, uh, Ableton being a DAW, a digital audio workstation for listeners who don't know nothing about music productions, uh, music production. And like, he doesn't add the tons of high end VST plugins. And I don't know what virtual instruments into his, uh, into his projects. He just uses the th stuff that's in there, what he finds, what sounds cool. And then he just proceeds to write around it. So no, yeah, like I said, he doesn't overthink it. But there's so cool hooks in there and and like the sound itself of the album is nothing super special and nothing new, but the songwriting is just basically really solid and really nice to listen to. And I've been listening uh, to it during uh, my cardio sessions the last two weeks and it just like it really puts you in a good mood to just run. Like it's... There's reappearing like um, sequences he always uses. I think it's a very analog style of, of 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 workflow he uses, right? Just putting in a sequence into a sequencer and just modulating the key instead of a thousand variations of the same melody. So an album that could have been written and released, I think, 20 years ago, but with a modern sound. And I, I really dig it. I dig it so much that uh, I will put one song on the Desert Island playlist. Spoiler. Oh, Wow, Ooh. nice. Yeah, like really dreamy stuff on there. My two favorites are, hang on, um, Reviver, the title track, and Watermelon Wormhole. Hmm. Yeah. Gonna check that out. Also, I have been re-listening to <laughs> my genre switching uh, is getting on again uh, from from deep house and trance to power metal from the early 2000s. I've been listening to Avantasia again, which is the so used to be the solo project of uh, Tobias Summit, a German power metal dude who plays for Edguy, and basically b he took the approach of um, featuring other artists to the next level in the metal community because nobody really did that 
Um, I think that's more of a hip hop thing and an a electronic music thing. And dude was like, I'm going to write an opera and I will get everybody in here. Uh, so at the start, he, there were like a couple of German musicians from various metal bands, uh, Kai Hansen um, and Kiske from, from Halloween. By the third album, he already had Alice Cooper in his roster. Wow. wow. So, yeah, that's uh, how good the guy is to be a summit. Great musician. I think right now there are like seven Avantasia albums. And the first one, the Metal Opera Part 1, is just like, it's so, like, German power metal is something else. <laughs> that's something we can really do really, really good as power metal. Yeah. Halloween, yeah. Edgar, Avantasia. That's... <laughs> And yeah, I've been listening to this stuff uh, mostly when I was like 16, 17, 18. So that's where my whole guitar approach and playing approach and my sound comes from. And just mm. reliving these memories again was uh, pretty cool and cheesy. <laughs> Power metal is always yeah. super cheesy. As le at least they don't sing about unicorns or dragons. Over to you. What have you been listening to this week? What's been catching the attention of that space in between your ears? Uh, honestly, um, my favorite artist in the world, Aesop Rock, has released a new album lately. It's called Garbology. And Garbology. I, just, yeah, and it's just back to front gold. Um, Aesop Rock has been on, on record before as having more words uh, than Shakespeare, more original words than, than Shakespeare. Um, and when you just study like the rhyming schema uh, of like, like just the structure of, of his rhymes and poetry and the frequency and use of, of unique words. Um, it's it, like every time I've listened to Aesop Rock, it's been a, a, an eye opening and a learning experience. And you know how usually an artist will have one or two albums that resonate with you this way, but then as their career goes, or as you sort of mm. delve more into what they've done before, you, like, you don't have that same resonance necessarily. And this is just an artist who literally everything I've, I've seen him put his name on or heard him put his name on um, has just been absolute worth my time, worth my ears has, has captured me in that same way and given me that same energy. Um, so I highly recommend Aesop rock garbology. He's produced it with, the DJ Blockhead. They're both yeah. out of New York City. Um, and Blockhead and Aesop have collaborated many times before. Um, not on every album, but they like this isn't their first run. And Blockhead, in turn there, has released uh, a sort of remix CD called uh, The Recycling Bin. And it's old songs that he's worked on in the past with Aesop Rock with now new remixes and beats and they've released these two albums in tandem with each other. Oh, and wow. Cool. I highly recommend just uh, going through everything that they've done uh, personally. But but Garbology itself, it's available for free streaming. You can just type it into YouTube and, and it comes up straight. Like it's very, very minimally about, about income and profit with them. It's, it's just about 
creation and, and keeping the art alive. That's cool. Ooh. Get your whole roadmap Pac-Man, black mask, snack on whatever's in the dash cam. It's nine ad hashtag or a tap dance. Patsy, the revolution will not have jazz hands. I know you're really gonna matter, so the heart and mind. That shit that make you park the car and scream into the dark at night. Some days I wanna build a rocket to the Carmen line. Ten, nine, eight, keep your head and arms inside. Yeah. Anything else? Of note. From my end, not particularly, not not in terms of my uh, recently listening. Um, I, however, to, to kind of fall onto Chris's motif, I will definitely be recommending an Aesop Rock song for the Desert Island list later too. So like, if you don't listen to the next however long of nonsense, you already know the end. This is great. So, yeah. Uh, <laughs> don't worry, I'm going to ruin it also because the person I've been listening to, I'm also going to put a song on the Desert Island disc off. Right? It's just, that, yeah. So there we go. And that is, uh, Chris, what band do I talk about the most on the podcast? The War on Drugs. Oh, that's pretty high, but you get one more guess. Um, My Morning on. Jacket? Yeah. My Morning Jacket. There we go. Yeah, I got it. Jacket. Jim James, Jim James, lead singer of My Morning Jacket. He'll be on on the Desert Island disc at the end with a song for sure. Um, I've been listening to a song he did with a guy called Ricky Reed, who's a producer of a lot of uh, sort of pop stuff. Um, and he did a song called Us, How Sweet It Was, in brackets. General thing, by the way, I don't like it when songs extend their titles in brackets. I just think it's weird, but whatever. Um, they did this song, and it was really, really cool. I really loved it. I think I sent it over earlier, actually, to Chris. Uh, it's just got a nice groove to it. A bit melancholy. Oh, that was that? Yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, like- that was chill. I loved it. Chill. This week I've gone into electronic music. I don't know what's going on. Or like R&B. I don't know what's happening. Because so, from there, I've been listening to the Chemical Brothers. Hell yeah. This week, <laughs> which is wonderful because it's for working out, to be honest. That's why. Because it's got a good beat to it. And I was playing Dirt 4 the other day. And uh, the Chemical Brothers with Beck. is one of the songs when you're on the menu. And sometimes I just wait on the menu to hear the song. I'm like, oh. Such a good song with the visuals. <laughs> oh, it's so well done. But the video is amazing. So it's just a one shot of a woman dancing in an empty warehouse. And gradually as she goes through, it's one of the actresses from um, from uh, Ex Machina, the film with the... Oh, uh, wow. The robot girl. In it. Yeah, it's one of them. One of them. And she's the dancer in it. And it's just one shot of her dancing for like four minutes uninterrupted around this warehouse. And she slowly transitions into a see-through robot as she like goes through the video. Now I thought, well, it's just motion capture, right? They've just filled, they've, they've sort of done it, you know, against a green screen or something, and just gradually blanked out bits of her body, you know, with CGI or whatever. No, what they did was they filmed her doing the whole dance like in one take, and then filmed it again, but without her dancing, 
So they had to get everything literally pixel perfect again, exactly the same track, and then overlaid the track over her and made their own frames, cool. which was like 70,000, and gradually removed parts of her body frame by frame manually. I was like, huh? But that's the most amount of effort I've ever seen. And they did it because there's one shot where you can see through her, but you can also see her in real mm. life. And there's no nice way to do that without seeing the camera. So they had to do it to sort of overlay like another layer to block out the camera. Yeah, they're just sort of fading her out as it goes. It, oh, it was an, it's an amazing video, actually. Um, so that's partly why I like it. It's getting away from me. We actually got a submission this week, though, for a review. So I'm going to talk about that for a minute. And it's from an artist called Mabloni. I hope I said that right. Mabloni? Mabloni? Mabloni. It's Mabloni. Yeah. Is it Mabloni? Do you know this person? We've never met. I have um, I've seen him on stage once in Berlin. Uh, it was just like an open mic uh, or, or like one of these smaller artist showcases. It wasn't like a, a Mabloni concert or anything. But I do know that he does concerts like that. Um, and he gets a lot of rave reviews. Like I was, I just happened to be at the bar where this event was happening. Um, and he was about to go on. And the friend of mine who I was there with that said, oh, we're going to miss Mabloni. Oh, it's going to be great. And my friend was a big fan. And I saw, I know he's, he's a solid performer. He's a very, very solid. Uh, you could tell he's been around for a long time. And he's been uh, doing this. His live show is well, well, I don't want to say well scripted. That makes it sound choreographed and stuff. But like, it's it's been polished. Like, like he's definitely it's, yeah, it's well put together, right? Exactly. Yeah, it's it's got a, a level of structure and awareness to it that you don't often find. Mabloni, nice that you got in touch, and thank you very much for doing so. He yeah. actually uh, sent us in advance his new album, which uh, comes out on the 11th of February. So it'll be just out as this is out, actually. So uh, go and check that out on Spotify, etc. cetera. Uh, he's described as a one-man psychedelic folk force on stage. And uh, he actually writes uh, all of his songs for a band, but records uh, most of the parts himself. Not all of them, but most of them. Uh, this is his uh, fourth album, then, I think, if he's already had three. So uh, he's sort of getting sounds of the Beatles, Crosby, Stish, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, Cat Stevens, stuff like that. It's the stuff that influences him. So he sent this album over called Lot of Freaks.
And I liked it overall, actually. I mean, I'll play a few clips of it in here, and you just heard a clip there, but there's a, there's a certain nostalgia to it that's very sort of 60s Beach Boysy kind of vibes, I guess. Uh, there's a heavy use of, say, 12 strings, for example, and that almost sounds Tom Petty, George Harrison-ish. Um, and I think he's leaning quite heavily towards the Beatles, the Beatles sound here. Um, perhaps too much on some, actually. Uh, too much, a little bit on some tracks. I found them a little bit like... Uh, you can take inspiration from things, but I think if you lean on stuff too much, it, it gets kind of predictable, and I think that that's where a two or three went. But there are some standout tracks on here, for sure. There's a track called Matia, which is really a cool, breezy pop song. There's one called Rocket, which kind of sounds like a... It's going to sound bizarre, but it sounds like something from the Arctic Monkeys, but it really does. There's one called Drugs, Music and Love, which, I mean, pretty solid song title and a good summary of my life so far. Um, that has a bit more bite to it. And there's another one called Blood Spangled Banner, which sounds a little bit like a Neil Young protest song. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, it's kind of nice, that one. And what I really like is um, he sort of cleverly weaves these very sort of introspective bits and pieces with these sort of reflections he has about the world with the occasional swear word. Like, you know, it doesn't build up to it. Like, that's the sort of part of the song. You know, some people swear just for, for kind of effect. And he's just throwing his potty mouth out there. Which isn't a criticism. It's something I actually love, you know. Spice of Life is uh, swearing, and I like my language hot that his performances are very well put together and it brings a different energy. And uh, I think that that's something you can tell uh, in between the album and then me watching some clips live. There's a lot of energy there and it is quite well put together. Like he clearly he's knows what he's stuff. doing. Yeah. yeah, he owns the stage and stuff. And I think a lot of the songs come alive a little bit more then. And I cringe at criticising things too much because ultimately he volunteered to send us his stuff completely, you know, out of just wanting someone else's opinion. So well done you. But when compared to the live performances, I found the recording a bit nasal, a little bit like restrained um, at times. Uh, but that's no bad thing. And that's kind of normal, I think, for a lot of people who release music and then have such a sort of refined live act because they do have a different feel when it comes out on stage. But there are a couple of the tracks I was a little bit I don't know, I found it a little bit trebly, a little bit fragile, but I guess that that is the sound that's also been going for here. It's this very 60s West Coast country rock vibe. Mm. Um, on the positive side, I like how clean and mixed and mastered it is. There's something very precise and wide about the sound. You can hear quite a lot of details here and there, and from the just shakers are very clear to the occasional sort of scratching of the strings to some clips and some claps. It's it's quite well put together here, actually. I, I really did like that. But most of all, it reminds me of um, a band I used to know called Banditos. And they're a little known sort of six piece rock and roll psychedelic rock band uh, from Alabama. And I bought their record Banditos, I think, back in 2015 when I was going through some sort of Alabama shakes phase. And it was fine, not great. It had a couple of tracks and the rest was forgettable. Now, that's not saying that Mabloni's one is like that at all, but I do feel like there's a... The sort of thing that I got to halfway through was there's not enough variation in the tracks. 
the, they all sound of the time of this nostalgic 60s time. And over 13 songs, I would have maybe liked one or two more. They're a little bit more bluesy or something to break it up. So um, that's probably my only real criticism. But overall, it's pretty down to earth, pretty nicely done, pretty happy-go-lucky kind of, yeah, chilled, surfer, psychedelic kind of singer-songwriter rock. Um, so yeah, maybe a little long in length. Could have maybe cut two tracks out, maybe added some blues ones in. But otherwise... Very much looking forward to hearing these live and in a bit of a different setting, maybe around a band as well, uh, rather than producing so much himself. I think that's going to give it a different energy. And uh, overall, as I say, a decent effort, a solid 7 out of 10 album, I would say here. Uh, One that's uh, really going to be nice for the summer as we transition into that. Should we turn to you, Moves, who we broke the fourth wall about and called you Ian? It's okay. Now, we were talking about uh, what we've been listening to before, and on a fun note, Aesop Rock's real name is also Ian. All of the good musicians are named Ian. Lemmy's name was Ian. Dweezil Zappa. Yeah, Lemmy's name was Ian. Dweezil Zappa was uh, originally named Ian before he, he changed it legally to Dweezil. They tried to name him Dweezil and the nurse wouldn't let them. I never knew that. Absolutely never knew that. Um, But Moves, talking of Ian's, last time we'll mention it, Moves. What have you been up to music-wise? Obviously, you've been a guest on here now a few times, I think three times or maybe more now, right? And this has kind of become a bit of a tradition where we sort of annually catch up with you. So it was almost a year ago, precisely, uh, that we caught up with you about 11 months ago. What has been going on music-wise on your end? Many, many fun things. So actually, the day after tomorrow, uh, I'm going in. I have two EP. Well, we were talking about EPs and albums and what constitutes that earlier. So I guess if we're going to follow the rules that we had established a little while ago, uh, in a few weeks, I will be going in to record a Moves Johnson album, an LP. It's going to have seven songs. It's probably going to hit about 35 to 40 minutes. So it will just sort of tip from EP into album territory Mm -hmm. based on where we drew those borders a little while ago. (laughs) Um, And it's all instrumental. It's primarily orchestral 
direction um, instrumental music. My great my grandfather was born in London, England, and he was about seven years old when uh, the it was called the Battle of Britain, and mm-hmm. you know during the war with Germany, he was about seven years old when his part of London started to get bombed in, in the air raids and he would sleep underground in the subway tunnels uh, and, and he grew up with no no real food and everything was rationed and he grew up in sort of like a war-torn time. Um, a lot of people, unfortunately, have had to live through experiences like this, but this is the only person that I have ever met who, I, who I've been this close to. I've felt comfortable sort of asking questions about that without being invasive you know and so i ended up interviewing my grandfather about what it was like to uh to grow up that way about him meeting my grandmother about going from this sort of abject poverty and never knowing if uh you know he'd be walking down the street and then all of a sudden there's an explosion and his best friend who he was walking down the street with is now just not there like mm-hmm. it's you know the building is gone the people he loved are gone and you never know when this is going to happen and so I, I got to talk to him about these experiences and about growing up in that. And then finally, uh, eventually he came to Canada with, with my dad and, and my aunt and, uh, and, you know, the better life and better opportunities, et cetera. And so to hear his whole story, um, we've, we've taken these interviews and set that story to uh, this big orchestral uh, backdrop against it, and and we're very much just sort of animating and and using his his story as the narration for these these musical pieces, or rather using the musical pieces as support for his his story. Mm-hmm. And we've been given uh, some funding by the government of Germany. Uh, it's it's being considered a cultural project here, and so nice. and the whole uh, band that's working on it, all of the. The people involved are from all around the world. We've got people from Canada, people from from England and Ireland. We've got people from Germany, uh, people from Israel and Romania, people from all over the world um, who are coming together to to do this project and basically make this this album telling this this one man's story and life and journey. Uh, up until now, so that's that's the first big thing that that we're going to be doing. I've been working on this for about two years now, and it feels very, very good to be able to get the opportunity to actually present it in a in a professional format. In a, in a like now we can afford to go into into the studio properly and get like a, an actual arrangement of musicians to come in. It's not just some recordings you make over the phone anymore, or some some digging around with with Ableton samples. Like like we're able to actually put the time and dedication that we need into, into making it properly. So that's mm-hmm. a big focus right now. Mm-hmm. Did you then, play, you played it to him, right? Has he heard I it? Yet? I went back this Christmas to see uh, my family. I haven't seen them since COVID. So like two or three years. And this was my first time back this Christmas. And I had brought several of the songs uh, to show him. Uh, they weren't finished or anything, but just, you know, these little scratch tracks that we'd been working on just so that he could mm-hmm. hear it. And I was so excited to show him. And then at the Christmas dinner, uh, he bursts out with this announcement. He's actually got his own podcast, the Retirement Center. Yeah, the Retirement Center that he uh, has been uh, living in. There's a, a we're from I'm from Ontario. He's from England, but he's living in Ontario in Canada. And there's a radio host 
Erin Davis, who she was on Chum FM and uh, City TV. She's been on like some very large Canadian networks and stuff. She's a very well-known, you know, Ontario radio host. And she was doing a podcast in the retirement home and had interviewed my grandfather a few times and liked him so much that now he's co-hosting this podcast with her. They've just finished doing, yeah, yeah. They've just finished doing their first episode together. I think last week they recorded it. So that should be out sometime very soon, actually, probably before we end up releasing this. Wow. Yeah. And he's got, I think he's got six or eight episodes for this season with her. And then they're going to see what happens after that. But anyway, so he came out and he told us all of this at dinner. And I like, I've been doing this as a job music for 20 years my sister also has a journalism degree and was in radio for a while. Erin Davis is sort of the, like, she couldn't dream of working with, with a person like this in, in the stage in her career. And all of a sudden, our grandfather is there, like, just, oh, yeah, you know, I, I got this. And so we, we kind of <laughs> sat no down for a while. It's <laughs> just like, wow. And this then, man? And then like a sort of, like a like a sort of embarrassed schoolboy in the corner, you were kind of like, oh, I've got this song. It doesn't matter. Yeah, no, exactly. it's, like, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah. I got um, this thing. What did you bring here? Oh, There's nothing. Yeah, right. Like I, yeah. I spent a whole bunch you you even helped me get a little bit of stuff done for that. So yeah, I, I mean it wasn't a very good recording, but yeah, it was fun. Oh, good. But like like we we put some effort into me being able to give him something when I came over there. And then after he told us this, it was just a little bit like well, now my gift sucks. Like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. man. <laughs> like, he was very happy with it. Um, he, but about he, my podcast. But on top of we're also, um, the day after tomorrow, I'm going in to record a completely separate uh, EP of between, I think it's going to be four or five songs. I think it's only going to be four songs. Uh, but But completely independent of this other thing we're going to do uh, a small ep of more original music and that should be out realistically that'll be out later in the year uh mm. but we with covid and the regulations and the ability to go in in person to to record or use equipment we you got to take the opportunity where it comes mm. so when i found out that i'd be going into the studio i i thought i wouldn't be able to get in until april and uh, like we're recording this now in February. And so we, I was told three days ago, for, or I was told about a week ago that, that I, it would be two days from now. Uh, so I, so I, I, about a week ago, I was given seven or eight days to prepare to go into the studio for an EP. I thought I had months to, oh. to address. So I ended up writing four songs, uh, complete finished, uh, works that that we're gonna we're gonna workshop a little bit with the band the band has never heard these songs before it's just completely new and they're gonna sort of figure them out as as they uh as they they're, come gonna, lo- they're gonna love that <laughs> oh yeah I, I really like to abuse my band members <laughs> whatever i can to keep them on their toes um, what are your what are your musical ambitions for 2022 though in terms of getting back out and playing again i mean i guess that's gonna well, be possible right now i mean What's it like in Germany? I don't know. Like, Swedes don't care. I, I was at an event last night, and it was weird because it was, wasn't was any more full than it two years ago would have been. But it's been two years of this isolation, and so you see 30 people in a room together, and now I'm kind of conditioned to be all nervous and edgy about that, whereas yeah. before I would, have, I would have been hugging and kissing everyone in the room, you know what I mean? And 
So uh, it, it's as much as things are open, there's there's this feeling that that the crowd like there's this this level of energy that that isn't there anymore. Mm. Or it's just got a different sort of edge to it. And I don't know. We were going to go on tour before this whole plague thing happened. We booked places in uh, Switzerland and, and South Germany and Austria. And then everything kind of hit and we weren't able to like all those venues closed. Um, and a lot of them didn't even reopen. Right. You know, it's not even a possibility to book after that. Yeah. So it, it's really kind of up in the air. What 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 is worth the time to go and perform and, and, and play a show at at this point? Uh, you, you know, to drive down or, or, or get the bus down to South Germany or, or the Austrian border to play two shows. At that point, you know, is it is it worth it to walk away and 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 spend this much time on the road and like uh, the expenses of that, the the amount of of fans or like I hate using the word exposure, but that is a large mm. part of what yeah. live performance is. And like like what are you actually going to be netting from that? And mm. I don't know. It's it's been interesting to see this whole shit with Spotify and. Joe Rogan and Neil Young and all of that, and whatever yeah. side of the fence one ends to, one tends to be on, it's what I've seen evolve out of that is bands are now using this as an opportunity to be like, well, regardless of the misinformation, Spotify's always been treating its artists like shit, and can we talk about that for a minute? Yeah, and big surprise. Nice to sort of see that at least that's something that the spotlight's sort of gearing toward again is uh, is is that online sort of. Inconsistency. Um, mm. Bandcamp has just started uh, a live streaming service. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't know if the goal is necessarily necessarily to play more live shows so much as gets the presence out there, and that's not like that can be achieved in an online medium now uh, in mm. ways that I couldn't before. And I think, like. My my goals really are to are to finish these recordings and to make the best art that I can possibly make. And if I have the opportunity then to play, like I've got fifteen musicians coming in uh, to to record this um, this bigger piece, mm -hmm. and I don't know if I'm going to be able to tour with a fifteen piece band and 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 present that to people in the in the form that I really want to play it in, and, and you know the medium in which it's properly enjoyed, and. <laughs> So to that end, it, it, it really just makes sense to focus on making these recordings the best I can make them to get people interested in seeing me in whatever format that I can present myself. And mm. from there, hopefully, I don't know, just these interviews are great. I've, I've got my own podcast as well that we've um, we're, we're coming up on our second season of, of interviewing artists and talking about about how to deal with uh these these COVID times and how to deal with um, sort of managing your your day job and your you know art career and hopefully making your art your full time thing and the, with planning with that and, and just talking about these topics week after week it really sort of changes your perspective of what do I want to accomplish as as moves Johnson the performer as moves Johnson mm -hmm. the public figure or or what have you. Um, and I think I'm happy to just have my hand in whatever whatever pie is on the table, really. Um, and then we'll see what tastes better at the end of the year, you know? Mm -hmm. Moves, so uh, EP out soon-ish LP with the 
orchestra. Do we call them a session orchestra? I guess they are really. Session well, they're orchestra, not a full really. session. I'm not hiring an orchestra. I'm hiring several individual musicians who I will orchestrate. Yeah, well, you're, you're pretty much there. The, her conductor. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and uh, so you had a lot of stuff coming up and uh, hopefully getting back out and playing again. But as you say, when the sort of time and effort and possibility allows, but uh, we'll definitely be hearing more of you. Now, people might know this already because you're pretty regular on here, but remind all of the lovely people again, where can we find more Moves Johnson? You can find Moves Johnson anywhere fine music products are available. Um, no, I'm on, I'm on Spotify and Deezer and Apple and all of those things. I mean, if, if it's a matter of you trying to support, uh, we were just talking about how Spotify isn't exactly the most supportive of artists. Uh, Apple Music actually is is probably one of the best platforms to like if if you're just going to play some stuff and and you really want the artist to get rewarded. I, I think Apple Music has the best structure for that. But uh, I'm not going to tell people to to subscribe to Apple or any other service over you know you you guys do. I'm not going to tell you how to live your lives. Um, but yeah, Apple, uh, Bandcamp, YouTube, Spotify. Title, Deezer, everywhere else. You still got your website as well, right? Yeah, I was about to say, if you go to movesjohnson.com, you can just, all of the links are always there. Excellent. Cool. Thank you very much for that, Moves. It's great to have you along this week and uh, glad we got to talk a little bit just about you in the meantime. So check out movesjohnson.com, go there and anywhere fine music is made and stay tuned for more stuff from Moves. Now, the next feature this week is... uh, One I'd like to introduce with this clip from someone who I think probably has the best guitar tone ever. That is, of course, a solo from Queen's Brian May. I uh, hope they don't mind me using this clip, by the way. They're normally a bit, bit, bit hot on all of that stuff from a copyright perspective, but uh, I do this as a fan. Queen, my favourite band of all time. Best band ever, as far as I'm concerned. don't know anyone else who can beat them. That was, of course, Brian May. Now, Brian May has a legendary tone. He has one that is known for being quite special and very, very hard to replicate. It's partly down to his gear, partly down to his pedals, and partly down to how he plays. But what tone on guitars do we like? What do we enjoy? And how can you, if you're just starting out, or if you're a little bit further down the line in your playing career, how can you emulate those sounds with gear? Now, I'm going to spoil a little bit of the ending. You don't need as much gear as you think. And maybe you don't need to emulate sounds at all. And you can actually just find your own. But if you are looking for a bit of inspiration or a way to go, at least based on some of the sounds that we're about to talk about, we're going to try and point you in the right direction. Now, Chris, before we get into this feature properly, where we're going to talk about guitar 
sounds generally that we love. Them um, tones. Uh, them tones and how we get there. From the tone. This voice. is a feature that I think Chris and Chris and Ian are gonna know more about than me, to be perfectly honest. Because I normally am just like, that sounds good. That sounds bad. So and that's about as far as far as it goes. Um, whereas I think you two might know a little bit more of how we can achieve the sound. So I think first credit for being a qualified uh, professional. So it's going to be Chris, <laughs> Chris mainly on this one, but that's no problem. So Chris, I think we should start with you. No pressure. Because uh, we wanted to look at guitar sounds we like, and then try to teach people how you can get that sort of tone. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Um, so basically I was looking for, I was, uh, when I spoke to you about this, uh, idea i was thinking about well let's talk maybe uh about guitar tones that aren't like the tried and tested ones that everybody knows how to get to like the 59 les paul into the marshall plexi uh, with a sm57 uh, in front of the cab like everybody knows that's the let's say acdc sound and uh, that's how you get a rock sound right um I was thinking maybe look for some sounds that can be achieved through pedals or maybe through interesting mixing stuff. And that's why I didn't choose for my three picks. Like, even though I love the classical uh, heavy metal dual rectifier sound, there's really nothing special to it. It's basically a dual rectifier by Mesa Boogie through a 4x12 and uh, to SM57. So that's it. But I don't think that's really worth talking about because there has been so much talk about it over the years, right? Um, so when I was looking for my first favorite sound, where's the script again? I chose, hang on. A song that we've mentioned a few times, actually. Yeah. It's your top one, because it's a really good track. It's Tame Impala's The Less I Know The Better. And I'm actually not talking about the guitar sound here, but the bass sound, the, the main the main riff. And he kind of uses the same sound for the end of Let It Happen, but on guitar. I think the, the approach is a bit different. But yeah, it's just such a nasty, gnarly, and even like thin bass sound in the beginning. You can hear when the when the whole band starts, like the bass is layered. There's the the overdriven sound that I really like, and underneath is the clean bass sound, which is basically a common technique by now to split the bass signal into uh, various layers, clean and distorted. But yeah, uh, like a distorted bass has been done for years but the way he like did it, i think there are videos out there that suggest that he um played the bass through a boss blues driver and i don't think many bass players use the blues driver so that's a pretty cool pretty cool idea pretty, to just well no and it's a pretty easy pedal to get hold of as well right if you yeah. want to try it and it sounds fucking great we have spoken about it like lots of times pretty affordable very available pedal that yeah. really there's no excuse for not having kind of it's pretty pretty out there so yeah right and so yeah there's a i think a video from reverb on on youtube and um their series is called potent pairings where they like build sounds uh, with pedals from from famous albums and stuff i think there's a sound garden episode on there and 
I don't know, Beach Boys, Tame Impala, of course. So yeah, um, the less I know, the better is a bass through a blues driver and then probably into a compressor. And I really like that combination. It's not too weird, but the like the riff itself is so cool and the sound enhances enhances the riff. Just, yeah. Excellent. Nice first submission. Moves, do you have a particular sound that uh, that you want to share? Do do I have like to listen to, or like is there a Moves Johnson signature tone? Oh, you can do us your signature tone and tell us about how you achieve that. Specific formula for my signature tone, so much as like like it's not like okay, run through this pedal on this amp or or what have you. Uh, I will say I just grabbed a new Orange amp, and I I am in love with the sound of Orange amplifiers, which may sound very cliche uh, to to some, but it's. Oh, that, that color's never sounded so sweet. Um, <laughs> and I think what, what really attracts me about it is there's, I, I like a distortion without a crunch. I, I like a, a fuzz that, that just sort of makes the, the, the nuances of the notes a, a little more slurred and a little intentionally muddy, if, if you will. Yeah. And uh, there's something about an orange distortion that, that I really like. I, I tend to play through acoustic guitars uh for for most of my sets and so when and it was like distorted or clean and i often tend to err on the side of i don't want to have a pedal i don't want to make that that giant leap from this clean campfire sound to to a raging heaviness and so a distortion that's in the middle that, that, that that just sort of sounds like an overdriven acoustic guitar uh or 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 like something broken that it works in both elements, you know, like, like when you're playing nice and quietly, the distortion isn't overtaking this overdrive isn't, isn't coming and, and, and picking up. But as soon as you, you apply the pressure to the strings and the tone, then you start to hear this clipping and this, this intentional fuzziness. And so I like to find this balance without a pedal. And a lot of the times that's achieved with just higher mids and, and playing with your bass uh, elements of it. If you get mm-hmm. too bassy, then it becomes too muddy. Uh, but if you, if you roll off the bass too much and it's too trebly, then again, it becomes too crunchy and too clear. So I, I find just like a high mid with a very particular bass that, that might need to be adjusted for the room or the recording tends to be where I fall into. Um, but like, yeah, if you listen to old uh, popular Oasis recordings, like uh, Don't Look Back in Anger has a very good example of this big distorted sound that doesn't have a crunch. It's just this general broken radio vibe for the guitar uh and, or rocket 88 i mean that's exactly what the sound is ike turner rocket 88 you know, like he broke i think that's where we have distortion from is, is ike turner broken amplifier Speaking of really broken sort of sounds, by the way, um, I'll share one of mine that I really love, and uh, it's a band I really like, Queens of the Stone Age, and uh, Josh Josh Homme's guitar sound overall is 
I, I don't even really know how to describe it. I think you've got it really well. Like it's on the verge of being sort of almost unrecognizable and a bit like too fuzzy, but it's not. It's it's still there, but it it doesn't have that crunch sort of fuzziness to it. It's quite a clean fuzz, if that makes any sense. As as he's changing notes or fiddling around, like it all, it, it's fuzzy to the point where it sort of slurs these. Yeah. These and I love it. I love it. And I mean, he does use a shit ton of pedals. I mean, it's two pedal boards all stacked with stuff and I'm not even going to go into them. Uh, there's lots of octave pedals and uh, some other things and a couple of fuzz pedals and things. But the main uh, bulk of his sounds comes from um, a genuine bunch of vintage amplifiers, including uh, one from 1938, a Gibson EH-185 combo from 1938. Um, there's, there's only something like 60 left in the world, so the fact he takes this on the road is pretty crazy. Um, Imagine so he's on that. Jesus Christ. Probably I mean, has its own I mean, trailer. Yeah. I mean, that's amazing. So, Chris, you'll, you'll know what I'm talking about here. I'm going to read to you. I'm going to read to you how he gets the sound, and then you can uh, tell me what this means in baby language, okay? <laughs> right, go for You're it. not that stupid. Stop playing yourself down. Speak to him like a baby. Speak to him like he's four. Not at all. Josh Holm gets his sound by using an assortment of strange and rare vintage amps. Each amp is fed by different pedals for a cascade of gain stages, mostly by boosting and by equalizing the signal in each amp's preamp. When combined with Hom's sprinklings of fuzz, wah, and different octaves, the result is a very broad and versatile tone palette. Mm. I don't really understand what that means, per Basi se. Basically, he makes every amp sound a bit different by uh, exaggerating overtones, especially with the wah, because that's a notch filter that's um, moving up and down, and if you place it in one particular spot, like the... This frequency band will be boosted, I don't know how many dBs, 10 dBs mm. or something like that. And that like really creates overtones that get then combined with the other amps. And there has to be phase cancellation, which makes everything weird. So the poor uh, sound guy, <laughs> live uh, prayers go out to him. Uh, yeah, but basically, yeah, it's just phase, phase cancellation, phase issues, and a lot of overtones. Another one I'll, I'll take on while you're looking at that and gawping over that. This is a very simple sound to make. But when you said about guitar tones and how to achieve them, one of the first things that comes to my head, mainly for its simplicity and because this is a tune, is the cult She Sells Sanctuary. I love this track, by the way. But um, just the, the overall sound of the guitar as it runs down this riff is... Uh, 
it's, it's just great. And all it is is two separate delay pedals, actually, both set to different times slightly. Um, and if you only have access to one delay pedal, you can set it to around 800 uh, milliseconds, I think it is, and you can get it pretty pretty close. And it's just there into a Roland uh, amp. That's it. All it is. Two delay pedals into a Roland amp. That's I it. Think- Vol- volume up a little bit to get a little bit of crunch. time people think they need this giant stack or, or, or arrangement of pedals and stuff and like I said I like to err on the side of simplicity and often I find if you bring especially in a recording environment if you bring a 30 watt amp in and plop that on the table that tends to be able to deliver you only need a stack when you need to fill an arena right like like it's about the tone at the end yeah. of the day and a 20 mm-hmm. watt amp with with the right electronics and the right you know knobs That'll get you a lot farther than investing in hundreds and thousands of dollars with pedals and speakers, right? Like one pedal for the delay effects and an amp with the right fucking sound in the first place is all you really need. Chris, what else you got? New guitar sounds. Yeah. You um, got two more to go through. Speaking of delay with, pedals. We, yeah, let's start. I was just going to say, speaking of delay. Okay. But, um, this one's from, from Dredge from the El Cielo album. Uh, same old road again. Nothing too special. It's, it's basically an Ibanez delay, the DE7, the uh, fuck ugly one we spoke with Michal about, um, yeah. the tone lock one. And when I started to listen to Dredge, uh, I was because I was a metal guy, and my only two effects that I knew of were delay and distortion. And I've never like focused on guitar players who use especially delays for rhythmic purposes. It sounds so ignorant, but it wasn't just i wasn't just interested in like effects effects right a delay was something mm. for me to make a solo sound uh, sound like i'm standing on top of a, on top of a mountain and mm. what uh, mark engels from dredge is doing he basically pushes the delay on and off to just create rhythms with ghost notes so a single ghost note in and then the delay is set to 8 so it makes and just as a as a layer a rhythmic layer that gets combined with the with the drum sound and the bass sound was something new for me mm. because like i said i wasn't i was all about playing 16th note at 200 beats per minute and not about doing something <laughs> something less mm. so mm. that was pretty eye opening for me and i love that sound so much that i actually bought the de7 myself uh, so you can recreate that sound pretty easily uh, has become kind of a like secret, secret, not so secret trick uh, by now. And the cool thing about this pedal is that it has a tube screamer chip built in. So when you set it to the analog mode, it actually crunches the delay signal just a tiny bit. And that is a really cool texture that you can do. So 
what what I actually tried out for for a new song is uh, the, the 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 pedal has two outs, like a, a clean out and a wet out. If you want to separate it into two amps. So what you can do is to actually just record the wet signal. Of course, you have to compensate for the delay, but that's such a weird filter that a tube screamer chip in there that you basically don't need to do thousands of uh, thousands of hours of post processing to get a really weird and nice guitar sound to just use the wet signal of the pedal. And there's your mm. new sound. So nice. yeah, that's my second one. You say. You've saved the best one to last, though. It's such a fucking good riff, this. It's, should I do the last one, or does someone oh, else want? totally should do the last one. Okay, uh, so Porcupine Trees, The Incident, uh, the song from the same album. Uh, I call it the nasty riff, and <laughs> that appears at oh. 135. And it's no pedals here. It's just a baritone PRS into a distorted bat cam, bat cat amp, or overdriven. I think not even distortion. Just such a nasty fucking riff. Like, oh my god, it, it really is. What's the song called? The incident. Uh, the incident by Porcupine Tree. Who, who I've gone on a bit of a tear listening to recently because it's. Uh, um, I, I'm relatively new to Porcupine Tree. Actually, Chris got me into them. And um, so I um, have now booked to go and see them live with Chris, actually. So that's hey. going to be cool. But, but Chris is a big fan of them, and I'm not. We're going to get drunk. We are going to get drunk. <laughs> so I have been checking out a lot of uh, Porcupine Tree stuff. And uh, this one I hadn't heard, actually, until you sent it um, in the script. And uh, as soon as I read Nasty Riff at 135, I was like, I'm totally going to check that. Yeah. Any, it's, an, it's a signature guitar. Like a, like a well-known artist like Stephen Wilson plays someone else's guitar. I think because signature instruments are kind of like the no-go in the musician world sometimes. Yeah. But yeah. he doesn't give a fuck, right? So good for him. Mike Mushok signature. I don't even know who Mike Mushok is. Nor do I. Anyway, guitar tone. Basically, there's some cool sounds out there, but ultimately, experiment a little bit. Find your sound. Try and emulate yeah. other people's. And if you practice, want to. you fucking dicks. And practice. You're just going to say, you can buy as many pedals or the most expensive guitar you ever want, but if you can't play, it's always going to sound bad. Like, no matter what you do. So, uh, <laughs> definitely practice for sure. Um, and don't go too crazy. Find your own thing. Like Ian said, if you just. Plug the guitar into an amp, turn it up to a certain setting, it sounds good, go for it. If the pedals are in an unconventional order that you own, who gives a shit? Just find something that you like and There's, run with it. Everybody talks about, in the same vein of, of what you were talking about, it, it, people will go, oh, I want this album to be mastered to tape because tape sounds better than mm -hmm. digital yeah. these days. And like at the end of the day, most people, if they just close their eyes and, and you play both of them, they can't hear the difference. Um, or like people will go, oh, is that a guitar out of tune? Or is it like, does it sound out of tune? Ultimately, that's what we're listening for. Like it's an ear, it's an auditory exercise. 
And so like, you don't have to stress the visuals or the written element of it. Like the theory behind it doesn't matter, but fucking sounds good at the end of the day. What are we going to add to our Desert Island playlist right. this week? Uh, we, we already spoiled earlier what we're going to add to the playlist, or at least the artist we're going to add. Uh, Ian, kick us off. What are you uh, adding I, to the Desert Island? One song. I, I was wondering about the, the rules of the Desert Island. Here. It's one song. One song. Okay. So in that case, my absolute favorite song that I have always suggested to people, every time someone asks me, what's your favorite song, is um, Daylight by Aesop Rock. And it's Aesop, It's not on the Garbology album that I was talking about earlier. It's This was released many, many years ago. But Daylight is an absolutely incredible piece of music that just I find also lyrically re-listenable um, because you can glean sort of more from the lyrics on, on each playthrough. And I have found myself returning to this song Ten years later, I still sit there and listen and pick up something that that maybe I've I've missed the the for the first ten years. That said, the song is called Daylight, and I find that it exists in and of itself as a very very good and complete piece of art and and poetry and lyricism. However, it does have uh, a counterpart song called Nightlight, and so all of these themes and and rhyming schema and 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 all of these. Uh, motifs that are addressed in daylight. He's got nightlight, which is a complete counter argument to the first song, and and he runs through the same sort of rhyming structure and and talks about the same things from the complete like opposite point of view, and 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 one is very much the foil to the other. And like I said, daylight is the better of the two, I find, uh, and I think it's a, a good song on its own as a standalone however as added sweetness if you can hear the song nightlight played next to it and there does exist a version of the song that is just both of them back to back with like and, and not as a separate track so maybe i would take that uh completed like package deal uh nice it's a cool yeah. concept like it's it. really I, I man i i say it to anybody who will listen Go check out Aesop Rock. Not ASAP Rocky. Not not that. Like, not that guy. E S O P R O C K. Aesop Rock. Like you will not be disappointed, and it will like the, the next the rest of your life will be about figuring this shit out. It's so yeah. good. Nice, Chris. What you got? Uh, I'm going with Lane Aids Watermelon Wormhole. Uh, this is one of the most most chill songs on the album and one I would like this is something I could imagine being super fucking high or drunk laying in the field uh, gazing up to the stars and listening to the song and being kind of happy for five minutes <laughs> nice well that would come in handy on a desert island when we've got nothing to eat nothing to do <laughs> Hell so yeah. uh, that, that's always good <laughs> I spoiled who mine's going to be earlier, Jim James. I wonder, though, if I've broken our own rules, and I think there might already be a Jim James song on the Desert Island playlist, but let's oh, see. Not, like, if, so if somebody else had said Aesop Rock, would I have not been allowed to put Aesop yeah, Rock? Yeah, we did do that originally, that you'd only have one from each artist. Ooh. Did we? Yeah, but anyway, whatever. Fuck that rule. We made the rule, <laughs> and now I'm getting rid of it. Jim James, here in spirit. <laughs> Protest song. Um, but it's got such a cool beat and um, 
there's a, the the ending. It sort of goes into this breakdown, this slowed down breakdown bit. And uh, Chris and I have talked about this before. I do like a song that knows how to use a break very well. Like you know, where you're just building up, and instead of going into a solo or something, it just goes silent for a few beats or something. I love a good break in a song, mm. and this does that wonderfully towards the end. So where you're kind of expecting it to build, and then it just goes like, and you're like, oh. Cool, that was cool. So um, I like that sort of stuff. Love it when bands do that live as well, when they just break in songs mm-hmm. and then they time coming back perfectly. I'm like, oh, this is wonderful. So I uh, like that sort of stuff. There's like a, a pyrotechnic shot or a stage dive or something. Or, yeah, or light coming on or whatever. Like It's so right. well done. There's or a story shoot. from from Dream Theater some years back. Uh, they had uh, in the one uh, Metropolis a song. There's there's a break like that and they turned off the lights for this moment. And they would like lengthen this break f- for however long they liked. And because they don't play it t- uh, play to a click track, Portnoy, the back then drummer, had a had a special pet that only sent a signal to the in-ears of the other musicians. So everything mm. was dark and nobody knew when the song would come on again and he would... And because they were so tired from the tour, because Dream Theater plays four-hour shows every night as well, they uh, partners started to like drift off and almost fell asleep. <laughs> the stage being oh. dark and silent. He's <laughs> like, I, I need a minute. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow. Speaking of sleep, we're recording this a bit late, and it's time for me to go to bed before uh, before baby wakes up. Inevitably, just as I've closed my eyes, will be when she wakes up because that's always what happens. But moves. Thank you very much for coming on the episode, and thank you to Chris as always. Really great to have you here. We'll be back next time with uh, more musical chat, more stuff we've been listening to. Unsure on the guest right now, but uh, we'll be back with that in the near future. You can find BPM Pod wherever it is you get your podcasts. That's Spotify, uh, Podbean, Acast, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, Amazon, uh, anywhere you get it. Anywhere you get your podcasts, uh, it'll be online there. You can always get in touch with BPM Pod at BPM Pod on Facebook and Instagram. Be great to hear from you. Keep your musical submissions coming in if there's things you think we want to review. And if you're a musician looking for an opinion on the music you've made, definitely keep that coming in too. Otherwise, until next time, stay safe, everybody. Stay lucky out there and uh, looking forward to speaking to you again soon.